Section 17 of Other People's Lives. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Other People's Lives by Rosa Nochat Carey. Book 6. The Tin Shanty. Chapter 3. Jack's Victory. The blackberry season was only just over when the good folks of Sandilands and Brentwood were startled by the news that Lord Royston was dead. His butler had just left him sitting at the breakfast table with an unopened telegram in his hand, and on his return a moment later he was alarmed by the sound of a heavy thud. His master was stretched on the ground, insensible and breathing stertorously, with the telegram still grasped in his stiffening fingers. An apoplectic seizure brought on by the sudden news of his grandson's death was the physician's unanimous verdict. It was just what they had feared, and so on. There was nothing to be done. The faithful old butler and the housekeeper and his ancient valet, who had been his foster brother, watched beside him all that day until the last flicker of life had died away. With the exception of those old retainers, there were no real mourners. Viscount Royston had been a hypochondriac and a recluse since the death of his only son. His personality was a limited one, full of trivialities, a thin, puerile soul whose life pilgrimage had been an incessant fight against visionary obstacles. Lord Royston had only really loved two people in his whole life, his only son, in whom all his hopes were centered, and himself. He had been proud of his grandson. The clever, sharp-witted lad was likely to do him credit, but he had never cared to have the boy much at Brentwood. Boys, even the best of them, were embarrassing companions. He was very fond of Hugh. He wrote long weekly letters to him, and was very liberal in the matter of pocket-money. But when the holidays came round, Hugh and his tutor generally found themselves packed up to the old Welsh castle that was part of the Royston property. And yet, when the news had reached the old man that his heir was dead, the shock had been his death-blow. And so Hugh Abercrombie Ingram, the ninth Viscount Royston, was gathered to his father's, in the grey old granite tomb where his wife and his son and his daughter-in-law lay and his grandson, you the younger, was buried with him, and the only mourner was the next of kin, a distant relative whom he had ignored all his life, and who, to his own great astonishment, found himself Viscount Royston with thirty thousand a year. Sandylands was so near Brentwood that a special interest always attached to Brentwood Hall. Sandylands was rather proud of its aristocratic neighbor, and until lately Brentwood Hall and the park and the silent pool had been regarded as show-places. We must drive you to Brentwood, Mrs. Compton had always said to her guests. There's some fine old tapestry and a picture gallery, and then the silent pool is one of our sights. And when it was first understood that Lord Royston had laid an interdict on all sightseers, Sandilands had passed a vote of indignation. The old churl, that was what they called him. Jack was full of the news when he went up to the tin shanty, but he thought Gwendolen looked at him a little oddly as he spoke. "'Yes, I know. It is terribly sad. Poor old Lord Royston.' And then she sighed, and went on with her occupation. She was trimming her sailor hat with a broad black ribbon. With a sudden freak, Jack caught up the old frayed blue ribbon and stuffed it into his waistcoat pocket. Gwendolen looked at him in rather a bewildered manner. "'Oh, please do not take that,' she said quickly. It is so frayed and old and dirty. 
and then she stopped with a sudden flush as Jack looked at her steadily. "'I shall keep it because you have worn it,' he returned. "'Gwendolen?' It was the first time he had called her by her name, and she thrilled from head to foot as she heard it. It is such a lovely morning, more like August than October. Come with me into the firwood, and leave that stupid millinery business. And Jack's voice had such a caressing tone in it, and his dark eyes, those beautiful eyes that Gwen had once said reminded her of a spaniel's, were so masterful in their eloquence that Gwendolen put down her work meekly, and so went into the sunshine to meet her fate. Jack never knew with what words he wooed his lady love. When he came to himself, he seemed to be saying over and over again, O oh, Gwendolen, my darling, why will you not answer me? I want one word, only one word. But Gwendolen only hid her face in her hands and wept passionately. And how was he to guess, poor fellow, that they were only tears of joy? They were in a sunny little clearing just above the cottage. Gwendolen was sitting against a tree trunk, and Jack, half kneeling, half crouching beside her, was watching her anxiously. The red tam-o'-shanter cap lay on her lap, and the smooth coils of brown hair looked glossy in the sunlight. With a sudden lover-like impulse Jack softly kissed them, and then half shyly, half proudly stroked them. "'Darling, it is so beautiful,' he whispered, as though an apology for the liberty he had taken. But he was a little dismayed when Gwen suddenly flung off his hand. "'Don't,' she said, as though he were hurting her. "'Please don't. There is something I must say first, that I don't know how to say.' and then to his surprise and joy she hid her burning face against his shoulder. "'Jack, let me say it here. I heard what you said, and I tried to believe it, but I cannot, I cannot, and here a sob mastered her. "'What can you not believe, dearest?' he asked tenderly. "'That I love you? Why, Gwen, I think I have loved you ever since that day when you first sang to me.' "'Not really,' and here he felt her tremble all over. "'But that was more than two months ago.' "'No, not yet.' as he threatened to be demonstrative, let me say something else first. Do you know what I once told Moritz, that I should never marry, never have a lover, because I was so ugly? Please, please, as Jack laughed boyishly at this, it is no joke. It has been a real trouble to me. That is why I cried so when you said you loved me. Gwendolen, my darling. And then all of a sudden Jack's voice grew a little husky. You need never trouble yourself about that again. I love you, and I would not change my sweetheart's face for all the beauty in the world. Hush, you shall not say another word. And Jack so effectually closed her lips that Gwendolen was silenced. I have got my beauty face, were her first words to Moritz that evening, when he returned from town. And then the feckless creature began to laugh and cry at the same time. Oh, Moritz, dear old boy, I'm so happy. Jack and I are engaged. He is the dearest and the noblest and the most simple fellow in the world and I love him with all my heart. He cares for me, just as I am, ugly, freckled Gwen, and he does not know. And then she laughed again, and Moritz laughed with her, but there were tears in his eyes, too. But while Gwendolen was reveling in her brother's sympathy, or thinking of her lover with sweet womanly tenderness, poor Jack was undergoing martyrdom in his mother's dressing-room. At his first words, his quick manly announcement of his engagement with Gwendolen Ingram, Mrs. Compton had first turned white and rigid, and then had gone into a violent fit of hysterics, and Penelope, and Trimmer, in great alarm, had begged him to absent himself for a while. "'You are too abrupt,' Penelope said to him in her wise, concise way. "'Your mother is highly strung, and her feelings are more acute than other people's.' "'Oh, it is only an hysterical attack, 
as jack looked at her anxiously you must give her time to come round when she is better she is sure to ask for you so do not go further than the garden and jack and jack puzzled and miserable in spite of his great happiness wandered up and down the terrace like a lost spirit it was not until late that evening that he saw his mother again she was lying on her couch looking wan and old and there were violet shadows under her eyes that seemed to add to their depth and lustre and as jack knelt beside her she looked at him with a faint sad smile i'm sorry that i misbehaved jack she said with a pitiful attempt at playfulness but you were too sudden and nerves are not made of leather and then her lips trembled and got pale again and the pain in her voice filled him with dull dismay oh jack why are things so frightfully hard for me in this world you are all i have my only one and all your life you have crossed my will and then with a haggard smile she said bitterly i am weary of my life because of this daughter of heth poor woman there was something tragical in her excessive grief another time jack might have waxed impatient but love and love's lessons and the wise counsels of gwendolen were making a man of him so he turned aside her complaints with unusual gentleness dear old mother he said kissing her i should love to make you happy but a man is bound to choose his wife for himself if you only knew what gwen is how clever and wise and true i never knew a girl like her and here words failed jack and he sat smiling to himself in the semi-darkness after the usual fatuous fashion of youthful lovers gwendolen would have laughed with infantine rapture if she had known how transfigured and glorified she was in jack's inward vision mrs compton remained silent from sheer disgust and hopelessness jack had taken the fatal disease badly he was in the first hot stage of delirious rapture cleverness and truth and wisdom were all excellent things in their way but when they were to be taken in conjunction with a tall gawky young woman who crinkled up her eyelids and had freckles and whose clothes might have come out of the ark for shabbiness jack's mother saw no cause for congratulation the very daughter-in-law whom her soul most abhorred was to be forced on her no wonder the widow said to herself that night as she wept in the darkness what good shall my life do me and yet strange to say it was jack simple honest jack who remained victorious it was the strong-witted self-willed woman of the world who had to submit isabel compton had a proud temper but she was not utterly self-centred her motherhood forbade that when jack's young face began to look worn and sad and his eyes gazed at her wistfully the nobler and better side of isabel's nature weakened within her they were a strangely assorted pair she thought never were mother and son so utterly dissimilar but if one must be unhappy it should not be jack and then the divine spirit of abnegation and self-sacrifice that lies fundamentally at root of every true character came to the surface dear jack please do not look so unhappy and then her tender motherly arms went round the young man's neck kiss me jack dear and do not quarrel any more with your poor old mother dear i will try to be good to your gwendolen here she bravely stifled a sigh but you must both be patient with me i will go and see her to-morrow but here jack's mighty hug almost took away her breath never since his childhood had she ever received such a caress oh mother how good you are to me he said almost remorsefully as he released her from his embrace and at that moment mrs compton was certainly not unhappy after all jack loved her and the terrible barrier was down between them 
It was only as she lay alone in the autumnal darkness that the grim, unlovely reality forced itself on her. Yes, she would keep her promise. She would be good to Jack's wife. But there could be no love between them, and as she tossed on her sleepless pillow, longing for the dawn, she registered a mental vow that the day that saw Gwendolen Ingram, mistress of Kingsdean, she would shake off the dust of Sandylands and return to her flat. Mrs. Compton's miserable night ended in a bad sick headache, and it was not until late in the afternoon when she felt able to pay her promised visit. Jack had spent most of his morning at the tin shanty, but he said nothing about his mother's intention. When Gwendolen questioned him a little nervously, he managed to evade any awkward disclosures. "'My mother was very startled when I told her about our engagement,' he said. "'I am afraid I was rather too abrupt. We must give her time to get used to the idea, Gwen.' And then Gwendolen, who was shrewd enough to read between the lines, very wisely refrained from any further questioning, and only gave herself up to the delight of her lover's society. "'You have not repented, Jack?' she asked rather archly, but Jack's answer entirely satisfied her. They passed the morning wandering about the fir woods, and talking happily about the future. Once Jack asked after Moritz, but Gwendolen answered carelessly that he had gone over to Brentwood again. Moritz is rather busy just now, she continued, as she stopped to pick some red and yellow leaves that attracted her. "'Let me gather them for you, darling,' observed Jack hastily. "'You see, Gwen,' though I want to do nothing but talk to you, I really ought to speak to Ingram. He is your proper guardian, don't you know? But Gwendolen only laughed and crinkled her eyebrows. It does not really matter, Jack, because I am of age. But, of course, you shall talk to Moritz as much as you like. Just now he is up to his ears in business. But he told me to give you his love and congratulations. He said you were to be congratulated, and here Gwen smiled in Jack's face. But, of course, that was only his nonsense." It was no nonsense at all, returned Jack hotly, and then he took her hand and kissed it. Gwen, darling, tell me what stones you would prefer for your engagement ring, diamonds or emeralds, and this weighty question occupied them for some time. Mrs. Compton looked so pale and weary when she started for the tin shanty that Jack felt a twinge of remorse. It had been arranged between them that she should go alone, and that Jack should follow her in a quarter of an hour. Mrs. Compton, who was extremely nervous and depressed, had extorted this concession from him, but though Jack pretended to grumble, he was inwardly relieved. No man ever desires to place himself voluntarily in an awkward situation, or to expose himself to a morave mauvais quart d'or. And Jack was not at all displeased that his mother preferred to go alone, but poor Mrs. Compton, in spite of her splendid physique, the climb up to the tin shanty was a veritable hill of difficulty to her, and she was so breathless that she was obliged to stand in the porch a moment. Chatty, who was taking in the milk, regarded her with a benevolent grin. Oh, laws, yes, Miss Ingram was in, and Mr. Ingram, too, and another gentleman. She had just been lighting the fire because the gentleman said it was so cold. And as Chatty finished this communication, she threw open the parlor door. If you please, Miss, here's Madame come to see you, she announced. For to Chatty, the mistress of Kingsdean, was always Madame. Gwendolen reddened and looked at her brother, then she came forward rather nervously. "'It is very good of you to come, Mrs. Compton,' she said with gentle courtesy, and then the older woman, who had already rehearsed her part, kissed her cheek. The touch of those cold lips made Gwendolen shiver. "'My dear Miss Ingram, it was my duty to come. I am Jack's mother. 
She said this a little grandly, and there was a fine sweep of her drapery that almost enveloped Moritz when he came to shake hands with her. I am afraid the news has taken you by surprise, he observed pleasantly, and even at that moment she was amazed at his air of easy assurance. Young people sometimes make up their minds rather suddenly, Mrs. Compton. Let me introduce Mr. Fraser to you, our family lawyer and an old friend. Fraser, this lady is Mr. Compton's mother. And then the gray-haired, sharp-featured man rubbed his hands together and looked at the stately widow approvingly. Yes, yes, I see. Well, as we have finished that bit of business, I will just take myself off to the inn, and tomorrow morning I will look in on you again. What time shall we say, Lord Royston? And then the lawyer turned to Mrs. Compton with a courtly bow. You will excuse us a moment, I am sure, for you understand that this sudden and unexpected secession makes Lord Royston exceedingly busy. Tomorrow's the funeral. But the rest of the lawyer's speech never reached Mrs. Compton's ears. Lord Royston, she murmured faintly. As she sank on a chair, she grew so pale that Gwendolen was quite alarmed. My brother is the next of kin, she said simply, as the two gentlemen left the room. But we only saw poor old Lord Royston twice. He had quarreled with our father. We never rightly knew why, and so he kept Moritz at arm's length, and, of course, we never imagined that this would happen. Poor little Hugh, we thought he would certainly be Lord Royston, but to-morrow he and his grandfather will be buried together. Gwen, my dear, observed Moritz briskly. He had that moment re-entered the room. Mrs. Compton looks tired and overwhelmed. Suppose you instruct the infant to bring in the tea, and as Gwendolen departed on hospitable thoughts and tent, Lord Royston sat down beside his bewildered guest. "'I don't wonder you are surprised,' he said in his serio-comic way. "'I tell Gwen that I have had to pinch myself at intervals to be sure that I am not dreaming. Brentwood Hall and thirty thousand a year is rather overwhelming after three months of the tin shanty. "'Ah, here comes Jack. Good old fellow. I wonder what he will say when he knows his beggar-maid has a pretty little dowry of twenty thousand pounds.' Fraser says I must give her that, you know, continued Moritz confidentially. My father, Colonel Ingram, ran through his property and left us next to nothing. He was in the guards, and, unfortunately, he was fond of high play. My mother, she was a Miss Hazeldean, and the present Sir Rolf is our cousin, helped him to pay his debts. We were living in Belgravia then, but we had to economize on the continent for a year or two. Dear me, what changes Gwen and I have seen! Lord Royston was giving Mrs. Compton time to recover herself. Then his manner changed. Hello, Jack. Don't run away. Gwen will be here directly. Good luck and best wishes to you, my boy. And he grasped Jack's hand warmly. Thanks, old fellow, returned Jack gratefully, but Mrs. Compton could keep silence no longer. Oh, Jack, Jack, forgive me, she sobbed. I was so hard on you last night, and now coals of fire are being heaped on my head. Do you know who Mr. Ingram is? He is Lord Royston, and Brentwood Hall belongs to him. Then Jack turned very pale, and his mouth was suddenly compressed. For the first time he looked his mother's image. Gwendolen, who was just entering with a plate of cakes, regarded him with dismay. "'Oh, dear, what has been worrying Jack?' she asked with naive girlishness. Then Jack suddenly marched up to her and seized her hands. "'Gwen,' he said hoarsely, "'will this make any difference? Why did you not tell me this before?' I'm the last to hear it, and I ought to have been the first. You have engaged yourself to me, and by heavens I will not give you up, but perhaps your brother will disapprove. 
no he won't old fellow and moritz brought down his hand on jack's shoulder with a mighty clap he is not such a fool he says take her and bless ye my children and moritz struck a melodramatic attitude but gwen dearest and here quite unmindful of his mother's presence jack put his audacious arm round his fiancee jack dear i did not want you to know she whispered in his ear it was so sweet to feel that you cared for me just for myself exactly so chimed in lord royston cheerfully gwen and i are both idealists and i had not the heart to spoil her charming little idol i don't want mr compton to be told just yet now gwen those were your very words then gwendolen blushed and looked up at jack with a wistful appeal in her eyes dear it cannot be helped now he said in the slow quiet voice that was natural to him i would much rather have had things as they were and not all this fuss but we must just put up with it was it not splendid of jack to say this before his mother gwen observed afterwards when she and moritz were talking over things oh maury i am as proud and happy as a queen jack does not care a straw about my twenty thousand pounds he says such a lot of money will be an awful bother and that he has plenty of his own and then gwendolen smiled happily what did her lack of beauty matter now she had this true sweetheart of her own could any knight be more leal and devoted darling it is so beautiful how those words rang in her ears as gwendolen brushed out her hair that night she took up a long tress and kissed it almost passionately with what boyish reverence his lips had touched it oh jack my own jack how i love you and that night gwendolen could not sleep for happiness when lord royston had carried off jack for a smoke and a talk gwendolen had been left alone with mrs compton it was an awkward moment for them both but madame's savoir faire saved the situation gwendolen she said softly when jack told me about things yesterday i was very much upset and i said to him then that i would try to be good to you and i meant to keep my word i hope you will do me the justice to believe that dear mrs compton how kind of you to say that and there was a little flush of pleasure on gwendolen's cheek i know how hard it was on you for of course you knew nothing about me and we were so dreadfully poor why continued gwen in her frank way we were very nearly at the end of our tether moritz poor old fellow could not sell his daubs no one would look at them and i was making up my mind to look out for some situation as governess or companion and then she laughed and looked at mrs compton and now you are going to be my daughter and jack's wife mrs compton spoke gravely under the circumstances any demonstration would be in bad taste and i hope that in time we shall be good friends and as she made this little speech she kissed the girl's cheek and this time gwendolen felt no inward chill that walk back under the starlight was a memorable one to mrs compton and as she leant on jack's arm and felt his strong support her widow's heart seemed to sing for joy jack her dear boy jack would never disappoint her more the sister of a viscount with twenty thousand pounds was surely a good enough match for any squire in christendom and yet the foolish fellow was making believe to grumble ingram he begged his pardon royston has been putting down his foot he was an obstinate old beggar he had vowed that there must be no marriage for six or eight months to come he could not part with gwendolen she must settle him at the hall and take her place as mistress until he had got used to things a bit it is an awful nuisance growled jack there will be a grand wedding and no end of a fuss and i know gwen and i will hate it then mrs compton smiled and held her peace 
she would not mar the harmony of this moment by telling him that she was on lord royston's side madame did not see either gwendolen or her brother again for some days though jack spent half his time at the tin shanty but one evening they came up to kingsdean to dinner when gwendolen entered the kingsdean drawing-room followed by her brother mrs compton started and jack grew very red the distinguished-looking girl in the black silk dress with a pearl necklace that scarcely rivalled her white neck and with a diamond arrow shot through her brown coil of hair could hardly be recognized as the tall gawky young woman in the frayed serge gwen you are always a darling but to-night you look lovely is it because you have got a new frock and jack looked at her with puzzled eyes it was true his ugly duckling was developing into a swan but perhaps after all gwen's beauty face was only for those who loved her in most people's eyes young mrs john compton was an exceedingly plain young woman not that one remembers it when she talks or laughs observed old mrs fortescue but she has the pleasantest voice and manner and really she sings like an angel but jack kept his own opinion to himself but his first act when lord royston took up his abode at brentwood hall was to buy the tin shanty and there in their early married days would he and gwen betake themselves for a blissful hour or two on these occasions gwendolen always wore her red tam-o-shanter and jack always vowed that no other headdress so well became her and a uh, section seventeen